Well, good morning, Plum Creek. It's great to see all of you here. I want to welcome everyone this morning, whether you're in person or you're online. Uh, I especially want to welcome anyone who may be new to our church. Uh, Some of you may be here because of the open house for the Life Center. Uh, You may be here to see the building, or maybe you just heard about the free hamburgers and hot dogs. But whatever the case, we're glad to have you at Plum Creek. And by the way, I want to thank everyone who made some kind of contribution toward this project. Uh, Some of you may be workers who had a part in the construction. Uh, Some of you gave financially. Some of you volunteered your time and your energy. And I know that several individuals put in a huge number of hours. Uh, But uh, but for all of you who who played a role in the Life Center, uh, thank you. I know that God is going to bless your generosity as we use this building as a tool to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. But I want to jump into this morning's sermon. Uh, We're wrapping up a six-week series called Don't Give Up, and it's about the relationships that matter most. And today, in the final sermon of this series, we're going to focus on your relationship with God. By far, it's the most significant relationship of all. And as I get started, I want to tell you something about my parents. Early on in their relationship, uh, my mom and dad decided to have a theme verse from the Bible. It was actually two verses. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now let me read that for you. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So what do these verses tell us? Well, the big idea is that God knows better than we do. His way is better than our way. So the best thing we can do is come to God in humility and say, Lord, I'm going to stop acting like I know better than you. I choose to trust you no matter what. Even when things don't make sense to me, I'm going to trust in you. Now, like I said, these verses meant a lot to my parents, uh, and that was partly because of their story. When mom and dad first started dating, it didn't take long before they got engaged. Uh, So they started planning and dreaming about their wedding, but all of a sudden, they ran into a roadblock. You know what the roadblock was? It was my mom and dad's parents. My grandparents did not like the idea of the two of them getting married, uh, mainly because they, they didn't want to see mom marry a preacher who was going around planting churches. They knew that he didn't make much money, and they thought he wouldn't provide the kind of lifestyle that mom was used to. So they put a lot of pressure on mom and dad to break up, and before long, the wedding was off. And that breakup began a separation of seven years. And and during that time, uh, these verses took on a special significance, especially for my dad. He, He was saying, God, I don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it, but I'm still gonna trust in you. And then seven years later, the two of them crossed paths once again, and they rekindled their relationship. And this time, they were both convicted that God was leading them to get married, 
with or without the blessing of mom's parents. And that's exactly what they did. They said, Lord, we trust in you. We're going to move forward. And the rest is history. Uh, And by the way, just a side note, several years later, my grandfather pulled my dad aside and he said, I apologize, we were wrong. You are a fantastic husband to our daughter. And to that I say, booyah. (laughs) Now I tell you that story to illustrate the significance of trusting in God. He is always good. He is always working, even though we don't always see him working. And we get tempted to lean on our own understanding. But the best thing we can do is trust in him no matter what. The smart thing is to put your life in Jesus' hands and never look back. Now, having said all of that, I want to look once again at our theme verse for this series, which is Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. That verse says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, over the last few weeks, we've talked about lots of good things that we may get tired of doing, but today's a little different. Out of all the good things you could ever do, trusting in God is very close to the top of the list And it's absolutely true that we can grow weary of doing this good thing. In fact, some people just stop trusting in God altogether. They completely give up on God. And that's what we're talking about today. And I'll be honest with you, uh, with this particular sermon, I feel like I'm opening a can of worms. And if you're visiting with us today, this may not be the sermon you would expect to hear. Uh, In the end, though, This message is important for everyone because it doesn't matter who you are. Either you have been tempted to give up on God yourself at some point, or you know someone who has been tempted to give up on God. This topic is especially relevant right now because in the past few years, we've heard lots of stories about Christians who chose to walk away from their faith. I could mention certain celebrities or people in the entertainment industry. I could also mention seminary professors or prominent preachers. There are many, many stories out there. And to prepare for this sermon, I actually did a deep dive into a particular story of a man I've known about for a long time. Uh, He's a Christian. He was a Christian. Somebody in the public eye. And he recently described what he calls his spiritual deconstruction. And I found his story gripping and fascinating and sad. But it did give me a better understanding of someone who stopped trusting in the Lord. And I believe the church needs to have a good response here because there is a significant trend in our culture right now. Now, I don't want to spend much time on statistics, but I do think it's helpful to have some context So first, I want to highlight a trend that's been called the rise of the nuns. I think that sounds like a great title for a movie, the rise of the nuns. I just picture a bunch of Catholic nuns leading some kind of revolution. But that's not what we're talking about. In recent years, the word nuns refers to a spiritual status. The nuns are a group of people who describe themselves as atheists, 
or agnostics or just nothing in particular. This group is religiously unaffiliated. And not long ago, the Pew Research Center did a big study, and the results were a little startling. Uh, Here's a snapshot. In 2009, 77% of adults in the U.S. identified as Christians. Then in 2019, that number dropped to 65%. Now, let's look at the other side. (laughs) In 2009, 17% of U.S. adults described themselves as religiously unaffiliated. These are the nuns. And then in 2019, the percentage of nuns rose to 26%. So in just 10 years, that's a big change. It's a clear trend. The number of Christians is going down while the number of nuns is going up. But it's even more interesting when you break this down into generations. First, among the silent generation, those born between 1928 and 1945, 84% described themselves as Christians. These people grew up at a time when some form of Christianity was almost a given in this country. Then we come to the next generation, the baby boomers. Now, the percentage drops a little here, but still about three-quarters of baby boomers would also describe themselves as Christians. Now, once you get to my age group, Generation X, the number drops to 67%. So those percentages are declining, but here, Christians are still a large minority, a large majority. But then check this out. In the millennial generation, those born between 1981 and 1996, only 49% claim to be any sort of Christian. So in just a few generations, we're seeing a massive shift. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you may find these stats very discouraging. But I want to pause right here because there is a lot of reason for hope. For one thing, Jesus himself said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And the truth is, when Christians become the minority, the church takes on a clearer identity and a clearer sense of purpose. You don't see as many people just going through the motions without a real commitment to Jesus. Now, it's also true that you may see more opposition against the church. This week I read a quote from a minister named Alistair Begg. And he said, Christians are increasingly going to be seen as different, and not in a good way. We are increasingly going to have to choose between obedience and comfort. The next decades will not bring apathy to the gospel, gospel, but antagonism. And that's okay. After all, that has been the reality for most of God's people through most of history. So the decline on that chart may not be such a bad thing. After all, this world was never meant to be our home. But I'll give you another solid reason for hope. Just look at our student takeover two weeks ago when our middle school students and high school students led much of the worship service. Right here at Plum Creek, we see people with a strong faith in Jesus, and a lot of them are young people. These young people are passionate about God's call. They're serious about making an impact in this world for Christ. In fact, at the end of this service, 
and we're going to pray for a young man who is heading out this week to do mission work in North Africa. The gospel of Jesus is still transforming lives in every generation. Now, we still have plenty of reason for hope. But despite the positives, these trends are still disturbing to many of us. So how do we address this? Well, a lot of times, we just don't know what to do. So we ignore the subject and hope for the best. But as we wrap up this series, I have a message for everyone listening, whether you're inside or outside the church. And the message is, don't give up on God. And that might be easy for me to say. But if you're the one struggling to have faith right now, struggling to trust in the Lord, what reasons do you have to trust in God or keep trusting in God? Well, I want to look at three specific issues that people might have, and we'll address these issues one at a time. But let's start with this big question. Why are people tempted to give up on God? Well, the answer to that question varies widely from one person to another. But here's the first issue I'll mention. Some people have a hard time with God because of the problem of suffering. Now, like every category that I'm going to mention here, there's no way I can deal with the problem of suffering in depth. And I definitely don't want to be flippant or overly simplistic about the pain that some of you have experienced. It's often very difficult to understand why God would allow some of the things that happen in this world. But for just a minute, I want to look at a story from the Old Testament, back in the book of Exodus. Now, many of you are familiar with this story. It's the parting of the Red Sea. You maybe have heard this story in Sunday school, or maybe you've seen it in a movie. Uh, but here's the basic idea. The people of Israel had been in Egypt for hundreds of years, and, and they had been slaves throughout that time. So God sends Moses as a deliverer to lead the people out of slavery. But Pharaoh... The Egyptian king, he's a stubborn guy, and he doesn't want to free the Israelites. So then God sends 10 catastrophic plagues. And after the 10th one, Pharaoh changes his mind, and he allows the people of Israel to go free. But not long after they take off, Pharaoh sends his army to go after the Israelites. And at that point, things look very grim. The Red Sea is in front of the people of Israel. And the Egyptian army is right behind them. And the people are like, seriously? Come on, God! And they start to panic. They also start to complain. Check this out. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, from where we sit today, we might look at the Israelites as a bunch of crybaby cowards, uh, mainly because we know what's about to happen. 
But the truth is, they were in a terrifying situation. And when you're really scared, you normally don't think straight. So they start to believe that it would have been better to stay in Egypt and live in slavery. In other words, they're leaning on their own understanding. But Moses has a word of wisdom for the Israelites. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So Moses says, calm down, everybody. I happen to know that God will come through. Now, he may not be working on your timetable, but you can still trust in him. And that's the challenge, not just for the Israelites, but for all of us. We often have a very clear idea of what we want God to do. And we know exactly when we want him to do it. But think about this in the context of this story. Based on our human understanding, we might have done things a little differently than God. For instance, why didn't God stop the Egyptian army before they ever left? Why, why not spare the Israelites from that moment of absolute terror? If you and I were running the show, we might have done things differently. But here's the thing. God always has a plan. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. We get a picture of his plan down in verse 18. That verse says, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. That's God speaking here. And then right after that, God wins the battle. He parts the Red Sea for the Israelites, but then when the, the Egyptians try to pass through, the sea crashes down on them and they drown. So it's a great victory. But do you notice something in this verse? The Lord says, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through this great victory. Now, this should be a light bulb moment for all of us. You see, the Israelites pictured themselves as the center of the story. In their minds, it was all about their survival, their well-being. And this is what comes naturally for all of us. We, we naturally put ourselves at the center of the story. If my life is a book, I'm the main character, right? But the truth is, I'm not the main character, and neither are you. God is always at the center of the story. And from his perspective, that terrifying situation at the Red Sea was an opportunity to put his glory on display. Now, I am convinced that God takes no joy in our suffering. But I am also convinced that he will use our suffering to draw us to him. In our weakness, we can discover his greatness. And today, we often find ourselves in a situation that is similar to the Israelites. We may be suffering or scared or angry. We might cry out to God and ask him to do what we want him to do at the time that we want him to do it. And then, when God doesn't come through the way we wanted him to, it's tempting to lean on our own understanding. 
It's tempting to maybe give up on God altogether. But all the while, behind the scenes, God still has a plan. You know, after God parted the Red Sea in the history of Israel, the, the people went through many, many trials and tribulations. Sometimes they brought those trials on themselves. Sometimes they didn't. But throughout the centuries, God was always working to bring deliverance and salvation and freedom. Finally, at precisely the right time, Jesus showed up. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Now, whatever you have been through in your life, or whatever you're going through today, please know that God has not forgotten you. He sees you. He loves you. And when you trust him, he's going to come through. Now, that may not happen on your timetable. It may not even happen in this lifetime. But eventually, if you put your trust in him, he's going to get you through your pain. He will take you to a place where your pain is forgotten. Now, there's a lot more to be said about suffering, obviously, but the bottom line is this. God is good. He's always good, and you can trust him. So that's the first issue. And let's go back to our big question. Why are people tempted to give up on God? I'll give you two more possibilities, and I'll touch on each one very briefly. A second reason why people might give up on God is because of Christians who represent Jesus poorly. Now, there are two sides to this. There's the view from outside the church, and there's also the view from the inside. First, when outsiders look at Christianity from a distance, they often see people who don't look very much like Jesus. And of course, that's the opposite of the life that God has called us to live. 1 Peter 2.12 says this to Christians, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So for those of us who follow Jesus, this is an opportunity for a little introspection. When people look at us, do they see Jesus? Do they see his love? his truth. Now, of course, we talk about this all the time. There are no perfect people in the church. We're all broken. And even though God's Holy Spirit will help us to become more like Jesus, that process won't be completed in this lifetime. At the same time, though, it's reasonable for people to look from outside the church and expect to see some level of integrity from Christians. You know, last week I, I talked about a Christian leader who lived a double life, and that kind of example is devastating. That's the kind of thing that leads people to write off Christianity altogether. So let's remember that people outside the church are watching. But sometimes people struggle because of what happens inside the church. Maybe it's legalism or self-righteousness, or somebody who's simply unkind. We see these things all too often. But let's be clear, like I said last week, people will fail you, and Jesus will never fail you. And let's also be clear about something else. 
when followers of Jesus look to God, he will help us grow to become the church he wants us to be. So let's not be the reason why someone would struggle to have faith. Now, I have one more common scenario where people are tempted to give up on God, and this is a big one. For a lot of folks, it may come down to difficult questions about the Bible or basic beliefs of the Christian faith. Many people wrestle with tough questions around Christianity. Is the Bible, is, is Jesus who the Bible says he is? And yes, there are certain answers we may never get in this life. That, that's what faith is. Faith means putting your trust in God without having 100% of the evidence that you'd like to have. However, that doesn't mean that we have no good evidence. There are solid reasons to believe in the God of the Bible and the Jesus that we see in Scripture. God doesn't call us to have blind faith. Now, I can't work through a bunch of tough questions right now, um, but I will tell you that I have found some very helpful resources just recently, and if you want to dig into this deeper, uh, get in touch with me, and I'll, I'll see if I can help. Uh, just send me an email, doug at plumcreek.org. But the struggle here is, is not always about intellectual questions. Uh, many people just disagree with certain things that the Bible teaches. And yes, it is true, uh, lots of things in the Bible go completely against the grain of our culture. But the reality is, it doesn't matter what culture you live in. There will always be certain teachings in the Bible that rub you the wrong way. But if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't need the Bible. Every word would already line up with all your preconceived notions. There'd be no reason to read it. But God's word is important precisely because we all need correction in many different ways. For example, some people get offended by what the Bible says about sex and marriage. But on the other side of the world, a different culture gets deeply offended when they see that Jesus calls us to forgive those who have wronged us. Because in that culture, they may think the right thing to do is go get revenge. So think about it. If Scripture came from God and not a particular group of people, this is what we would expect, right? We would expect every culture, everywhere, to be challenged and confronted by the Bible somewhere along the way. And again, if you're struggling with a specific teaching or a specific belief, don't hesitate to reach out. I can point you to several resources in these areas, too. The truth is, uh, in most cases, it, it's going to take more than one 30-minute sermon to help you come to a place of faith. But I want you to know, God is not intimidated by your questions or your doubts or your struggles. He can handle it. And over time, sooner or later, if you're willing to listen and if you're open to the truth, God will show himself to be true and faithful. So don't give up. But before we're done here, I want to speak to anyone who has no problem trusting in God right now. Your faith is strong and you're in a good place. But it's like I said earlier, if you're not struggling yourself, you know someone who is. So I have one more big question. How can followers of Jesus help people who are tempted to give up on God? 
Well, we need to be ready to respond on two levels. We need to deal with both the head and the heart. If you know someone who's asking some of those tough questions, that's an issue of the head and the mind. And in those cases, we need to be ready to give an answer for why we believe what we say we believe. Why have you put your faith and your trust in God? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Now, does that mean you need to become an expert in all the intellectual questions around Christianity? Well, that depends. With certain questions, you may be able to do some research and share some solid reasons to believe. With other questions, you may want to refer that person to someone else. But I will also say this. Sometimes the best answer is, I don't know. Because, like I said, there are certain questions that we won't get an answer to in this life. It goes back to that definition of faith. Faith is putting your trust in God without 100% of the evidence that you'd like to have. But there's always an answer that only you can give. You can share your story. You can explain the difference that Jesus has made in your life. You can be like the man in John chapter 9 who was blind from birth. That blind man was healed by Jesus. Jesus gave him his sight. And after that miracle, the religious leaders had all kinds of questions about Jesus. But that man simply said, All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. So it's important to deal with the head. But sometimes it's more about the heart. And when that's the case, God has a clear calling for everyone in the church. We just need to love better. We need to follow the example of Jesus and love every person we encounter. And you know, that's not easy. It's hard enough to love each other inside the church. I have a friend who is a church consultant. And he often goes into churches that are unhealthy and divided, and he tries to help them resolve their differences. Uh, right now, he's working with a church that is split right down the middle. Their leadership meetings have turned into shouting matches. That, that's no exaggeration. And I know that grieves the heart of Jesus. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, listen, we're always going to have our differences. That's just part of being human. But we can allow the Spirit of Christ to work in our lives and in our church. And when we do that, we will have a unity that just stands out in a divided world. And that unity and that love will be a compelling testimony of the power of God. We can be the evidence for someone who's trying to figure out whether or not this church thing is for real. But you know, the challenge to love, love better, it goes way beyond the church. We need to love in the same way that God loves. And we see his love in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, right there where it says, God so loved the world. Do you know what the word world means? It means every person in the world. Every nation, every tribe, every people. 
So when God sees the millions and millions of people who are suffering in India, he loves each one of them. When God sees Israelis and Palestinians, he loves each one of them. Every one of those individuals is precious to God. Each one was made, created in his image. Each one is a person Jesus died for. And when we compare our kind of love to his love, we got a lot of growing to do. It's as simple as that. God has the same love for everyone, whether they live in northern Kentucky or North Korea. We need to love the people God loves, especially those who are far from him. We need to pray that they will find hope and salvation through a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we need to allow God to use us to lead people to him. We just need to love better. But how do we do that? Well, on our own, it's not going to happen. But when we surrender to God's Holy Spirit, He will transform our hearts and our minds and our words and our actions. And over time, we will become more like Jesus. And we'll give the world a powerful example of what it looks like to trust in a God who is good and just and loving and faithful. Let's allow His Spirit to work in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, we, we look to you. You've given us plenty of reasons to trust in you, but we still struggle. We still want to lean on our own understanding. But Lord, help us to completely give our lives over to you so that we can see that you are faithful. and So that we can become an example for a world that may not even know they need you, but they do. We all do. So Lord, I pray that you'll help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.